Welcome to the Nehemiah Entrepreneurship Community Podcast. I'm your host, Patrice Saguet, and I'm here today with uh, Robert Fukui and Richard Zilke. And we're going to be talking about the Global Kingdom Investors Forum for Nehemiah Week 2020. Gentlemen, welcome to the podcast. Hey, I love the uh, applause as hey. we came in, so I feel, I feel like uh, I'm doing something here. Yeah. <laughs> We believe in affirmation. So let me tell you a bit about that. Yes. So you guys know Richard. Richard has been here before. Um, Richard, our home office coach, as well as our chaplain. Um, and and Richard, uh, we just finished a a uh, an incredible staff retreat. Um, and uh, maybe uh, you you led us into the morning devotionals. Just powerful. So Richard, give give them so for those watching this podcast for the first time and haven't seen you before. Give them a sense of who you are and and um, and a bit of your journey, so that they can know who you know your story. All right. Well, uh, my is a bit. Uh, I, I actually went to school to become a coach, uh, but my ideal was to be an athletic coach and a. a high school teacher. Uh, God got a hold of me and uh, sent me off to seminary after college. And uh, so I was as a uh, associate for 10 years, um, had some uh, difficult times uh, with um, an exit from my, my last church. A senior pastor had struggles with the congregation, but having to pick up the pieces and working uh, outrageous number of hours. And by the time the new senior pastor came on board, I was just totally spent. So I, I decided to, to step away from ministry. Um, and I was uh, started, uh, actually started a program uh, to, to become a counselor and uh, produced into academic and was offered a position uh, with the school that I was uh, pursuing my counseling degree at. Uh, and that started a uh, almost a 10-year process of being um, involved in academic administration, uh, where I wound up being the executive director of a local campus of a, uh, a global uh, for-profit uh, educational system. And uh, I had come on board in August that they were going to close the uh, campus. So I got to introduce myself in meetings and such as the captain of the sinking ship. And it was uh, an opportunity to um, work not only with the students as we we completed their programs to help them get uh, their first position at school, but to also work with faculty and staff to help them uh, take a look at, am I going to continue teaching? Am I going to continue in academia uh, and all this? And, and explore options with people. And that really kind of got me going and thinking that this might indeed be what I do next. Um, I left that position when my contract expired and 
the privilege of taking a few months to just kind of sit back and say, what's next? Uh, and during that time, God kept bringing entrepreneurs to me um, and uh, their questions about what do I need to do to, to get started? Um, you know, how do I move ahead? Uh, how do I get over this hurdle? Um, and so I was in this process of, of uh, helping them, and uh, I was part of a business support group through a fellowship of Companies for Christ International. And uh, they kept telling me, hey, you got to go talk to Patrice and those guys down at Nehemiah Project. You're doing the same thing they are. Uh, so I, I showed up on their uh, holiday open house and started talking trees and uh, Scott Landis and we uh, we realized that uh, especially Scott and I that I was doing uh, actually fitting into a piece that that Nehemiah project wasn't really meeting and work those who are are doing the dream and, and to build up that initial stages uh, where the kingdom business coaches were taking businesses who were um, Profitable and moving them to to succession. I kind of stepped in at the front end of that, and and uh, so it was just a natural uh, fit. Um, I came on board. Uh, it was probably about a year or so after I got uh, certified to teach entrepreneurship, and uh, we've been moving it since then. Seeing uh, Nehemiah grow some bounce last uh last few months uh, and then just recently this last year uh patrice and i sat down and and talked about uh the need for a, a chaplain with the uh within the organization and so i was presented with that opportunity and they got to uh, uh, desire and my sweet plot of, of ministry to people and helping them grow in their spiritual walk. So that's, uh, that's my story and I'm going to stick to it. Wow. Thank you, Richard. And by the way, we did a whole podcast of Richard, about what it means to be a chaplain. And we talked more about that. If you've not watched that or seen that or heard that you want to go to, uh, to nehemiahecommunity.com and go to our podcast and you'll see, you'll be able to take advantage of those podcasts. And he gave some tips about really how to, you know, how to work with chaplain within your own organization. Uh, Richard, what what you also do, you also administer uh, those who inquire uh, to be funded through our JICN, whether connected with an investor or whether to our own, our own, um, our own fund. And, um, and so that's what we're gonna talk about today. So we'll get more into it. Richard, uh, you led us in a devotional time the last three days that our morning staff retreat. Give a chance to our audience until we just literally came out of our, our, our last day of retreat. You know, this is uh, what your maybe your third or second year in these retreats. We're not totally virtual. Uh, how was that experience? How was it this time for you, different than other times? Uh, it was interesting. I was I was having a conversation with our uh, e-commuter uh, on Tuesday. Uh, yesterday, and talking about how um, having conversations virtually compared to face-to-face -face conversations, uh, and how I've noticed in some meetings that I've been at, 
Uh, of course, this didn't happen at uh, the staff meeting at all, but if, if conversations got heated, uh, people just simply uh, signed off, <laughs> you know, uh, rather than really uh, taking the time to, to work through whatever the, the discussion was. And so I missed that about the face-to-face -face because it's kind of when you're, you're meeting face-to-face, -face, if it gets uncomfortable, you're, there's, there's really kind of a social pressure to stay and work through the conversation. Um, but in working with uh, our group, uh, and it, it, I mean, it, you and, and Robert both can attest to this. We have such a marvelous team uh, that has been gathered together. God has just truly blessed us uh, with it. And it is truly a family. Um, and the, uh, the sense of support and encouragement that uh, we give each other is just tremendous. Um, even... Um, when we uh, had a discussion about whether a, a center director was actually was done in a, a loving and supporting way, um, uh, and, and we were able, to, as, as he responded, we were able to laugh about that uh, and such. So, um, you know, I, I'm finding that it's one hand we're working well together virtually. On the other hand, I miss the face to face. Yeah. For sure. Well, thank you, man, for bringing those devotion, and thank you for keeping us uh, spiritually rooted. Uh, Robert Fukui is the is our vice board uh, is our vice vice chair of our board. He's also a certified B trainer. He's also a coach in his own right. He owns a company called I sixty one Business Development. Robert is based out of California. Uh, don't you know? You will forgive him for that, but. Um, Robert, um, you are a biblical entrepreneur, and you are also emceeing <laughs> our business forum, our executive, not executive, global and kingdom investors forum this year, as you did last year. First of all, thanks for agreeing to come back to do it. Uh, Robert, a bit about you, so that our audience, I know our audience, many of them know you because you used to um, do the PP, the Profit and Profitability podcast, and they've seen you with me at different time on different podcasts. And of course, you being in the EMI week. Uh, so tell, tell them a bit about you so that, that way they can kind of get a flavor and, and what you've been about lately. Because you've been doing a lot of neat, neat stuff lately too. Yeah, it's been definitely an interesting, fun season. Um, so I was uh, you know, born a poor little rich boy in Hawaii. <laughs> Not rich, rich in, uh, rich in spirit because my dad was a pastor. <laughs> so I was uh, spiritually rich. Uh, we, weren't, we definitely weren't that well off, but, uh, but uh, we were, I was born in Hawaii. Um, then moved out to San Jose, California when I was nine years old. My dad felt called to uh, actually he, he thought we were going to go back to Washington. He actually went to Bible college in Washington state. And um, but on his way to Washington, he stopped in San Jose to visit some friends. Um, my mom and my sister were still back in Hawaii waiting for the green light to come out. But he stopped in San Jose to visit some friends and he never left. He decided, hey, I think this is place to, to, to be. So he called us out. So we, we all moved to, to San Jose. And as I grew up there. Um, you know, as you're you're growing up, and especially in the in the, in the church, <laughs> so, you know, you hear so many stories about pastors' kids, and I wasn't that bad, although although I've done a few things. But you know, it's kind of when this it got to a period where I, I needed to kind of find myself, and so I was I was looking at you know when I got into high school, I was looking at my friends having all this fun, going to parties and such, and all that, and I kind of 
you know, have to see what was what that was like. And so, you know, I kind of started drifting away from the church. And, um, you know, as I got into college trying to figure out what I wanted to do, um, opposite of uh, of uh, Richard, you know, I did not want to go to seminary. That was definitely the place I wasn't going to go. I wasn't <clears throat> wasn't going to follow my footsteps with being a pastor. Um, so I figured, uh, let me let me get into business. You know, I figured that's probably as far away as from uh, being in the church as possible. Um, but uh, so I got into I got to um, you know as, as I was in college, I you know, really didn't know what I wanted to be, and. Uh, so just kind of through process of elimination through all the courses, you know, I kind of checked off the ones I didn't like. And so process of elimination when I took my first marketing class was actually business class was when I said, hey, I can I can dig this. And then when I took my first marketing class, I decided to really concentrate in, in marketing. So I got a business degree, but I concentrated in marketing. And then I got a right out of college. I mean, before I even before I graduated, I actually got an offer from Coca-Cola. I actually did a summer internship with them the junior year, the summer before I graduated. Um, they offered me a job, uh, obviously a great opportunity. It was definitely going to look good on my resume. I didn't think I was going to be with them long term, but I knew for the experience and the resume build, it was definitely the place I, I felt, why not start there? Um, it was right at the time we launched Powerade and then the World Cup was in the U.S., and so I got a lot of great experience launching a major brand, actually launched another brand in, in the same period. Um, and then event marketing and all that all the stuff that goes into it. Um, and then a few years in, after uh, afterwards, I went into the pharmaceutical industry, which is really where I wanted to go when I was in, in college. That was actually the industry I really wanted to get into, but a lot of the big companies wanted sales experience. So that was the other another reason why I got took the, the coat job was because I got the experience name looking at my, my resume. So the first pharma company I interviewed with, um, I got the job. Um, actually, the first resume I submitted to a first pharmaceutical company, I got the call, and then I got the job. So it was pretty easy. So, so my my uh, my strategy worked out that I knew working for Coke was going to open some doors. <laughs> so, so I definitely did, and spent 20 years in, in pharmaceutical, <laughs> uh, 17 years with Bristol Myers Squibb, all in marketing and sales. Uh, launched about six major brands, and then got to a period, you know, I guess hitting straight as you start to hit midlife crisis in your 40s. And started to, to really ponder what I was going to do the rest of my life. And at that time, I had actually gone back to church when I met my wife, Kaylee. Um, she was a, a very strong-rooted Baptist, so she definitely was one, one of the, one of the um, uh, must-haves was we got to go to church. <laughs> and, so, and so I said, you know, I could do that. You know, obviously I've had experience in this area. Um, but, you know, we landed in the church in, in Pasadena and, really loved it. and uh, got involved um, there's this guy named Lance Walnow that came to our church a number of years ago, and he started talking about the Seven Mountain Mandate and, you know, what our role is in influencing society and where we are. And so that got me thinking about what's my next step. You know, is it supposed to stay climbing up the corporate ladder, or was I supposed to do something different? And so I started actually exploring, you know, having a business, but I didn't know what kind of business I wanted. So I made a list of all these different businesses. Or I think I went on the SBA site and looked, got the list of all these different types of business, and I just kind of like college in my career, I just checked off the ones I didn't want to do. <laughs> and so, so the list of checkmark uh, business was pretty long. I didn't, I was like, what am I going to do? So I decided, so I decided, well, why don't I do some consulting? You know, I'll do some marketing consulting. That's what I know. And I'll just try and consult with different business. I started with some friends for free. And then I, f I thought maybe, you know, and I like, I like the consulting, especially when the, the first two friends I was able to help didn't really work out and help their business. 
so I started charging and then I thought, well, you know, maybe I'll, I'll get do some part paid market research to find, maybe I'll find a business that I want to do through consulting with other businesses. <laughs> so that was my strategy. <clears throat> and then this guy named Patrice Gay came to our church um, about eight, nine years. I'm not sure exactly how long it's been now. Um, started talking about biblical entrepreneurship and it really, it really resonated with me because you know, with my background in church, my dad being a pastor, being in a corporate environment, um, I would always, even when I wasn't going to church, I would always look at ways, uh, the way business was doing business sometimes. And a lot of times what I, what I noticed was whenever things were going well in the business, it was rooted in biblical principles, even when if the company didn't realize it or not. Mm. And when it didn't go well, they were violating biblical principles. Mm. So I just intuitively understood that a lot of it, you know, so I, you know, I thank God for being raised in a church. Or really, you know, I kid about not being wanting to be a pastor, but, you know, now as I coach people, I think sometimes I feel like I'm a pastor. But, uh, you know, I thank God for that, that, that deep root in, in, the, in the Bible. And I, I, I started seeing those, those correlations. And so when, Patrice, when you came around, it's like, yeah, this is it. And so I was actually in the process of creating a business plan for my consulting business, as, as you probably remember. And so I figured, well, why not just take BE? You know, let's, let's, let's do a kingdom business um, plan, in a sense. Um, and so, um, and as at the same time, too, our, <clears throat> our ministry school, the church, they asked me to develop an entrepreneurship program. And I'm like, okay, I've, I've never had a business. <laughs> so I'm like, you know, what is this going to look like? So. I decided, you know, take BE for two things. One, let's uh, let's vet it, let's vet this thing out. That maybe we use BE as the foundation for our entrepreneurship program, but also two, you know, for myself, I'm also develop my business plan around it. So, you know, compete in the international business plan competition, all that, and then, you know, we decided to, um, you know, license out BE at our church, as you know, and and taught that for about six years, six or seven years, I believe. So. Fast forward, you know, four years ago, I finally left Bristol Myers Squibb, left my corporate job, and started really focusing on helping um, small, small family, family-run business. And it's been a, it's, it's, you know, I was doing it part-time before, but you know, as I launched into this full-time, and I, I launched into full-time and actually working with my wife, and which is one of the things I didn't want to do because I thought it'd be like the fast, the express way to divorce is working with your wife. You know, all the stories I've heard from other people. <clears throat> but she really insisted. And so I said, okay. <laughs> um, so we started traveling together with our business and stuff like that. And and actually, um, as I, as we were consulting with our business, with marketing, with business development and all this kind of stuff, I started noticing, you know, as the business owners start to open up about their marriage life, and I started kind of coaching them on their marriage because of all the two years of counseling that Kaylee and I did before we got married. So kind of giving the same tools that we learned. So after a while, I started looking at the parallels between what was happening at home and what was happening in the business. So when things weren't healthy at home, it was being carried into the business and vice versa. When things weren't healthy in the business, it was being carried in at home. And so I asked my wife, I said, hey, you know, if to really do something well with the business, and especially when they're married, we really need to start at home. But we can't just talk to one half of the couple. We need to talk to both of them. That will get you the biggest bang for your buck. So we decided to really be intentional about it. And we tested out a program last year called Power Couples by Design. And it worked out really well, got a lot of fruit from it. And we did see the fruit that we expected was that the business did did improve, but also the marriage life improved as well. And it wasn't because we addressed one side or the other, it was because we addressed both. 
right? Because if things are stressful in the business, it's definitely going to carry into the home. And then when things are stressful in the, in the marriage, it's going to carry over there. So we we focus on the marriage piece in their communication and conflict resolution. When you can uh, when you have a healthy way of resolving conflict, you can do anything, including in the business, because as you all know, there's conflict in business, right? <laughs> Especially these days. And so it's been a, it's such a blessing. And this this year is really kind of scary things because obviously with COVID and lockdown, it really exposed people's marriage weaknesses mm. because they're spending more time with each other. <laughs> and they couldn't hide by going to work, right? A lot of them were had to work from home. And so um, it really accelerated some things and we've really developed some key relationships with a lot of marriage experts, entrepreneurship couples that have the same heart to do this. And uh, you guys do too. And so we have a formal program around that. And so it's just so rewarding that we get to do both sides. So, you know, full circle, I said, I, want, I didn't want to be a pastor, but now here we are sitting in front of couples a lot of times and I'm like, you know, am I a consultant? Am I a coach or am I a pastor? <laughs> and the answer is yes. And so that's kind of what we've, you know, that's kind of what led to <laughs> meeting you, Patrice, and being involved with this, which I'm so blessed to do. And then what we're doing, my, my wife and my, my wife and I are doing in this season. And so we're just so grateful for what's going on right now. And um, COVID's actually helped us. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you for that, uh, Robert. Robert, I'm curious, what made, why did you, want to be in pharmaceutical? So I grew up in Silicon Valley. And so the one thing I didn't want to do was go into tech because it's always been a volatile industry. Mm. I mean, there's a little bit more stability because a lot of big companies now, but back then in the 90s, early 90s, it was very volatile. Yeah, there's, a lot of, there's tons of companies popping up, but there's a lot of ton, ton of companies that are actually closing up. A ton of companies actually being bought out and all that. And it was so volatile, you didn't know what was going to happen if your job was secure or whatever. You know, there was a big payoff, you know, when you get stocks and all that, but you never know. So I didn't want to go into that because I'm, I'm all about stability. You know, I was brought up with my dad, was, you know, find, go to school, get a job. You know, so I was all about stability. So back then, in the, especially in the early 90s, you know, pharmaceuticals is a very stable industry. You know, people start and retire in the same company. It's not so much that way now, but back then it was. And it paid well. <laughs> I mean, let's face it, I mean, the benefits are great. Um, I mean, the work environment was, was awesome, at least where, where I work. Um, work from home, you know, so I've never, so, you know, going from working from home in my sales position to when I started consulting and working from home and then COVID working from home, you know, nothing's really changed for me in the last 30 years, <laughs> really, for, to be honest. Um, so there's a lot of benefits in that industry. And so I just said, let's go into that. And, you know, it, I really enjoyed the industry. I really enjoyed the company I worked for. I've got a lot of great experience that I bring into um, small business. You know, even though I focus on marketing, but the minute I walk into these typical family-run small businesses you know, doing, you know, less than 30 million a year, I immediately see the holes in the organization that need to be fixed before you actually move into the marketing. So I'll see things that we need to fix because, you know, some brands that I worked with, you know, we did a billion dollars a year. And so we called them business units. We didn't call it just a brand. We actually internally, we called it a business unit because we had everything a business has. We had our own legal team. We had our own HR. We had our own operations. It wasn't just a marketing and sales department. I mean, when we looked at the structure, it was a business. And so immediately yes, I could see the benefit improving the organizational structure will immediately improve the profitability of the business. And then we add the marketing on top of it because if we do the opposite around, opposite, 
where a lot of business think that's the answer is more customers, a lot of time that actually hurts the business. Um, so I learned a lot from working in the pharmaceuticals, but that's kind of the long answer to why I targeted the pharmaceutical industry. What I love about your story is that you sought stability and then you've got experience and you got, but then you came to seeing a life where it was no longer about stability. It was about calling and passion. And then and you made that transition, which was a risk for you. I'm yeah. curious, tell us a bit about that because I, there are many people listening who say, okay, you were kind of, and you know, kind of didn't have the entrepreneurship DNA because you know the stability, but then that came later. Tell us about, you know, that second shift for you because some people can learn from that in terms of how did you know that it was not time and how did you manage the fact that you do stick stability to not go into this unstable environment called entrepreneurship, let alone kingdom business? Yeah, so you know, definitely I needed to, I think the, the path to, to being a business owner definitely was the right path for me because of my risk tolerance. You know, I have very low risk tolerance. You know, some people have high risk tolerance, so that's good for them. But for me, I needed, I had low risk tolerance. And it, but working in a stable company, a company that's been around for over 130 years, there's a lot to be learned of how you actually start a business and how you pro go, go through the business. Um, so, you know, they have, you know, you, you, you don't, you, you not you can't be around for 130 years and not do some things right, right? You, they do mostly things well, but they also make mistakes. So some of the things I learned from these stable businesses is how they deal with mistakes. We actually use mistakes. We can actually pivot and actually use the mistake for good. It's kind of like that's, you know, in the Bible, they talk, you know, God is, you know, he's evil for good kind of yeah. thing. And we, I've actually seen that at work in a business environment. You know, we don't call it evil. It's we had a mistake. <laughs> so one quick example is, you know, and actually I wasn't around at this time with Coca-Cola, but you remember when new Coke came around? Yep. They did the mis misunderstanding is the new Coke actually did well but they pivoted back to the old Coke. So what happens is they did all the proper market research, focus group, all the things you're supposed to do to bring a brand to market. And all the signs said this was gonna be a home run. When they launched it, sales actually did go up, but the lashback from all the loyal Coke drinkers was so great that even the local distributors were saying, we gotta bring the old Coke back. Mm. Within three months, they pivoted and brought the old coke back so one of the mistakes they actually made in the beginning they wouldn't have to really have done that but one of the mistakes they made actually was they took old coke off the market and the only option was new coke what was that by the way what's that what was the logic there well because all the market research showed that this was going to be a home run so instead of having two brands and diluting the customer base I they just focus on that one thing right they weren't, so they didn't so because i would have thought it's about expanding the market but they thought it was a replacement. It was supposed to be a replacement. Yeah. It was supposed wow. to be thing that can drive it forward. So actually, from, from the numbers, we actually it actually did better. The sales were going up, but the lashback from all the loyal drinkers, we were definitely losing people. So they brought old Coke back and they just relabeled it classic Coke. Mm. They didn't take new Coke off the market, they just brought in as another option, right? What they should have done to begin with, but you know, hindsight's 2020. So I understand the logic both ways, but anyways, they brought new Coke back to call it, or old Coke back to call it classic Coke. There was a whole new relaunch of classic Coke. And then sales just went gangbusters. Wow. And so 
the ability to pivot. I mean, this was in a matter of three months they made this decision. A lot of big businesses don't make that decision that quick, especially when they invested so much. But it's probably a little easier to, to pivot in this case because they're just gonna. There's not much they have to change on the distribution and the manufacturing. But all that to say is they actually they they, they listened to the market, and even though sales were going up, they could have still said forget it because sales are going up, right? But decided we have to take care of our loyal customers, and they brought it back, made made it an option, and went and they, and anyways it went forward. So anyways, I learned a lot from how businesses make mistakes, how they're always planning for succession. Right, because you have 130 years. There's a lot of succession, so there's a lot of things that I, I see that in big business, and I bring it right into the small business community, because these aren't things that are that are like, you know, crazy ideas. It's not something that is to be takes a lot of effort. It was just a, a, diff, it's a basic understanding of how to do business well. Um, so I, I lost your question. <laughs> I was going to I was going to answer your question, but oh. Well, Pivoting to, to to leaving that safety and environment. So yeah, I mean, like I said, I was born, you know, I was raised to uh, for stability. Uh, having a business, obviously, there's a lot of unknowns, um, and it was really, I won't bore you the details, but there's two periods when I thought I was going to leave. The, the one four years ago when I finally did leave, but the two years prior, I thought I was going to leave. But I was really praying about this. I was like, Lord, is this the right move? Is this the time, or is this what you want me to do? Uh, if I'm supposed to leave, you know, make it clear that that I'm supposed to leave or make it clear I'm supposed to stay. This was two years before I eventually left. Well, there's a, some two clear signs that I was supposed to stay. And I even I even counseled my pastor on this, even counseled my wife. And it was clear. It, it, there was two clear signs, I mean, in, within two weeks um, that I was supposed to stay. So I did. The second time around, this last time, it was pretty quiet. And so at that point, I knew it was my choice. And I felt God was going to bless either way. Am I going to leave the business and go into consulting, or am I going to forget the consulting and just stay in the business? Because I was at that period, I couldn't do both anymore. I was, I was doing part-time in the consulting and still working full-time in, business, in the, my drug company. So I knew I had to make a choice. And I and then when, when things were quiet, when I was praying to the Lord, and my wife and I were praying to the Lord, I knew it was, it was my choice, and I knew it was going to be blessed either way. But I also knew I had to make the move because I understood what I could do, what how I could benefit these companies. Because staying where I am, I'm helping one company. And I'm just one of thousands of people, right? And and when profitability goes up, sales go up in, in a large corporation, it's great. You get some hurrahs, you even get the prizes, we have won award trips and all that. But then you get back on Monday and you, you, it's like, okay, what are you gonna do now? Right? It doesn't mean as much to to the to the big the upper the upper management. When you're helping a small business, a family-run business, especially during this time, you see how much it, how much it impacts, and how deep it impacts. And for me, that's that's what's worth it more. And so I knew I can make a bigger impact with more business, more families if we left. Um, and especially now that I'm talking about family business and, and marriages and stuff, I mean, you're seeing a deeper and deeper impact of what we're doing. But the thing that really tipped it over. That I knew it was time to leave was that my wife had peace in the move. The first time around, she didn't have peace. The second time around, she had peace. She says, "We're going to be okay if we leave." Wow. And at that point, that was that was the tipping point. You know, regardless of the prayers and the signs and all that, it always boiled down to: Did the two of us have peace in this decision? Because this is an important decision, right? 
because it impacts both of us and impacts, impacts our family. And so I would tell our, our couples, our couples the same thing. You guys have to be on the same page. You have to be in agreement with these types of decisions. Mm. When one, when one doesn't have peace, something not good is going to happen. <laughs> Maybe not now, but at some point, but when you're both in agreement, even when things don't, it doesn't guarantee that everything's going to work out, but definitely more times, more times than not, things are going to work out. But even in the moment, things don't work out because you're both in agreement. It does not fracture the relationship. But when you're not in agreement and things don't work out, then it starts deeper in the fracture of the relationship. So I said, your relationship is first and foremost. When you're both in agreement, most of the time, things are going to work out. When the times that don't work out, it's still going to be okay because you have each other, you got your back, you're not fracturing a relationship, and you move on to the next thing, and that's going to work out. And so it boils down to the relationship, the marriage is more important than business, but when you do marriage well, the business is going to work out. You can do anything. I love it. What a tip. I mean, knowing your gift set, knowing your temperament, uh, making yeah. decisions based on that, and then knowing when your time is up, being discerning and listening to the Holy Spirit, taking it to prayer and uh, testing the Spirit to make sure it's the right timing, uh, make sure that you're in agree with your wife in alignment, but, but also what matters to you most, right? Understanding that and then for further preparation, biblical entrepreneurship and other things that you did. That is, I mean, that's the, the prototype for the transition process. So, Again, we're talking to Robert Fakui and uh, Mr. Dilke, and we're talking about Nehemiah 2020 Global Kingdom Investors Forum. Robert is going to be our host. Uh, Richard uh, is the administrator of the of those entrepreneurs who come in and want to raise capital. So, guys, let's talk about capital raising, right? Let's talk about it. So, my, my first question, by the way, if you've not yet registered for Nehemiah Week, you want to be a part, uh, go to Nehemiah Week. Um, dot com, Nehemiahweek.com. There you can register and join us from August the 10th through the 15th as we learn um, and we not only get equipped, but also we connect with other entrepreneurs and you get to celebrate entrepreneurship at a global level by watching those who want to pitch at the Investors Forum. It's a Shark Tank light opportunity where entrepreneurs get to meet with real life investors and are able to raise capital. So far, we've deployed uh, about $2.2 million of capital into businesses. And then we also have the International Business Plan Competition, where you get a chance to hear those who've gone through the training program that both Richard and Rob have gone through, where they get you to compete for who will win the competition for the country. So guys, how important in this covered environment, how important is capital in this covered environment? And is it, is it a different way to look at it in a covered environment than, than before? Let me start with you, uh, Robert. In this covered environment, how, how should we look at capital in this environment? And, and should it be different than traditionally, if so, how? I mean, capital is always important <laughs> in any environment, no matter what situation it is. I mean, capital really, we look by definition, <laughs> resources. Right, what resources do you have to keep the business going, to start the business, to keep the business going? So obviously capital is important no matter what environment it is. Um, now, especially when you look into this COVID environment and when you're in a business that's considered non-essential, obviously you're being negatively impacted because of the restrictions of doing business. Now it's different across the country, but obviously here in California, 
you know, you're looking at the the hair salons, the gyms and all that, they're always, they're closed unless they can do some out, if they can do outdoor training or outdoor uh, business outdoors and it's okay. But, you know, definitely it's limiting your ability to, to do business and which means that your cash flow is probably going to be impacted because, you know, it's limiting your capacity to business, which means it limits the amount of customers you can, you can handle, which means it's going to limit the amount of sales you have and profitability. So, you know, managing cash was a, a huge issue. And then when it comes to, you know, the capital, do I have the capital, the resources really, I mean, you got to look at just the resource, not just look at money, but you said, do I have the resources to keep going through this period? And especially in this period, we don't know how long this period is going to last, right? I mean, here in California, we've gone through opening and we've gone through shutting back down. <laughs> so, so I feel like a yo-yo, you know, a ping pong, you know, whatever analogy you want to create, but, um, we're facing we're a period of unknowns and so when you ask the when, when you ask that question do i have the capital to get to this period well number one we got to figure out how long is this period going to be mm. and so really right now we should be in a period of looking at how do we redefine you know we hear the word pivot all the time we have to look at the ways of redefining our business right now assuming things aren't going to get better right now the way i'm dealing with our, our clients right now as I'm saying, let's assume things aren't going to get better. In fact, if anything, it might get worse. And I was almost being prophetic when I said this a couple months ago with some of my clients, because things did get worse. It kind of scaled back. Um, but we got to plan. We got to adjust the business to to pivot to make a long term adjustment. Because even when things get better, and it will at some point, but when things get better, the business can be better for it. Because when you can be profitable within the limitations restrictions that are going on right now then you're going to be that much better once things open up. So don't deal with this just as a short-term issue. Do, use this as an opportunity to look at the long-term. So when you go back to capital, do I have the resources to make these pivots? What adjustments do we need to make? And what resources do I need to make these adjustments? Some of them can be minor, but some of them may need some, some cash to maybe purchase some new equipment or software, do some kind of upgrades to make the customer experience and the customer buying a lot easier, maybe a little bit more virtual or whatever, you know, there's whatever needs to happen to change the business environment or change your business in order for just, you know, right now it's just less contact is kind of buzzword. So we got to, how do we do business by minimizing contact? Some coaches like us, we can do business totally virtual, but if you have a product or a service that needs physical contact at some point, we got to still figure out how to uh, ways to, to limit that contact. But anyways, all that to say is we got to look at what are we going to do for the long term to make this business work for the long term, assuming things don't get better. And then what capital do I need to make the adjustments? Mm, good, good. Richard, what are your thoughts? Richard has wine. Wow. Uh, what, what Robert had to say there. And... Uh, it's, uh, I think one of the, the things that, that I've seen and have had, uh, I wish, I wish this, this example was a client of mine, but it, it's a, a friend of mine um, who had a restaurant and it, uh, you know, obviously restaurants were shut down immediately. Uh, took a look at saying, okay, do we just close down or are we going to, as Robert said, pivot and look at how we're going to do this. They, rather than to shut down and wait. Um, 
And so they uh, they actually invested in some uh, software to move their restaurant to ordering online. And so they were they put out their their daily specials, and uh, each day, each after next day, and they have found that they have increased their um, their bottom line. Uh, through these, uh, through the offering of of uh, online uh, orders, uh, so that, uh, they actually have more often than not sold out of their daily specials than uh, have leftovers. Uh, so this is a case where where that pivot has been very beneficial for them. They invested the capital. Uh, up front to to uh, increase their software uh, potential, uh, and they've already seen that return on that investment. I think uh, what's important for us is, is working with entrepreneurs is really to help our entrepreneurs make sure that any vision they have moving forward uh, is very explicitly defined so that when they present that to an investor, um, there is a clear indication for the investor of, of what it is they're going to do, how long it's going to take them to, to uh, recoup or to, to move ahead uh, in their, uh, their productivity or, or uh, their services or whatever they're offering. So <clears throat> it's, uh, it's that opportunity that we have as coaches to, to sit down with the entrepreneur and work through projections. Uh, I think that I take the same uh, route that, that Robert does as, as do having really uh, projections at this point. Uh, and because uh, we don't know what's how long it's going to last, as Robert said. So um, a clear, concise, uh, looking forward, um, you know, is, is what I think the, the entrepreneur needs to have it. Awesome. Thank, thank you, Richard. Um, my next question for you guys, again, we're talking to Robert Fukui and Richard Zilke about the Global King Investors Forum at Nehemiah Week 2020. Again, there's still space. So if you want to register, go to nehemiahweek.com. Nehemiahweek.com. There you can learn more about how to uh, how to be a part of the conference this year. So I've heard the, and then, and then we're going to talk about the criteria in a minute, but I heard about the concern that some have had about making sure that you're not borrowing money or getting investors to invest in a business that actually, because of COVID, is not going to be here tomorrow, right? Because because um, in, in, in the U.S., as an example, because of our government, has become very available. But the caution of concern has been uh, just because the money is there, don't just go for it because your business may actually not exist tomorrow. So let's talk about it a little bit. It, you, you said capital is important, necessary at all time, and this is more critical to allow you to innovate, to pivot, and so forth. But let's talk a bit about the caution about not being too in a hurry. To, to, to just or not seeing capital availability as evidence that you got a working business model. Oh, yeah, Robert, 
Yeah, first thing I think you guys just just get the capital thing out of your mind for a second because you know if all you're doing is worrying about how much money do we need, how much money to survive, and all that. It takes away from the, the thing that you need to be focused on, and that's your purpose and mission. You gotta say, what are we trying to do? Do I want to still be doing this? <laughs> you know, I think you gotta look at the, the multiple situations, and <laughs> before you start to address the capital issue, you gotta say, what are we trying to do our business? Do we want to still be around? You know, do you want to? Um, because I, I do believe anyone that really, really wants to keep and continue can, but you have to do it with the right mindset. And it starts with your purpose. I mean, your king and purpose, right? And then figure out what do I need to do? What am I going? What are we going to need to adjust? You know, cr let's create this business plan for the future, as Richard was talking about, basically, and and put together what does the future look like <clears throat> for this business? What changes need to be made? And and at the end, how is this going to make an impact for, for the kingdom, right? And then we can reverse engineer and say, can we, with the adjustments that we can make within our own control right now, can we make the adjustments without going to the outside to getting lenders and getting investors? Because even, even now, I think there's, there's a lot of businesses that can make the pivot without going for outside capital. But the first thing that it's always a crutch, though, as soon as you say money's available, people go, oh, let's go for it. That's the wrong attitude because you got to look back and let's say what that's why I said capital is really defined by his definitions about resources. What resources do I have to make the change for the long term? Exhaust all options before you start, especially loans, because obviously there's debt, debt involved, there's interest rates involved, even investors. Um, you know, the way I look at it is is if an investor in a bank is willing to, to invest into you, that means they've seen that you can do it by yourself because they only get the return when you're profitable, right? You get the return, they get the return out of your profits. Well, in the bank, no, it's, that's, that's debt. So that's part of your <laughs> expense sheet. But as an investor, they only get the return from the profit. So I always look at it I always counsel people say if people are interested that means you, they see the ability for you to make a profit without them now it might be slower but you don't have to worry about other people in your business right so it's not to say that you never go outside but what i'm saying is you've got to go through the steps before you just make a knee-jerk reaction to say i got to go for an investor or i got to go for debt um and and as an investor i don't I want to invest in something that really, really needs it. Because I've even, I mean, I've even, uh, I've even, I mean, people have pitched me a couple times and, and I look at it and I go, you don't need me. You know, I don't want to invest in someone that really doesn't need me. If all they're doing is looking for money, but I see they have the ability to do it on their own, why? I want someone, I want to invest in someone that truly, truly needs it and also needs more than money, but needs more counsel. <clears throat> because a lot of times people want a silent investor and investors are only silent when the money keeps coming in. They're not silent later. And so I said, if you want a silent investor, that's not me. <laughs> I'm investing. I'm now a partner. And I want to be part of this journey. Right? So anyways, there's a number of things I've considered, but I, was, I would always go through the steps. Number one, you got to understand your kingdom purpose. They want to still keep going. And then work through the steps to see if I can do it without any, any other help. And if it's the last ditch approach, then we go outside capital. Oh, I love it. I love it. And one thing to add there, uh, b because that's what we have to go through, Nehemiah, ask the question, 
will this capital add significant value to what we're doing, enabling us to pay back uh, and, and, and not drift from mission? Richard, let me, let me go to you for a different question. So people are listening and watching and they're saying, okay, hi, you know, what are the criteria? you know, uh, for this forum coming up, uh, it may be too late for new, 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 we have two entrepreneurs that may be pitching this year. They're still in the vetting process right now. Uh, we're going to talk about them in a few minutes, but, uh, we definitely have entrepreneurs who we've invested in, who are going to be coming back and kind of giving updates. But if somebody want to consider, let's say next year or to be in, uh, invested uh, to, for capital through our, our Kingdom Investors Network. What are the criteria? What are some of the things that they need to do to, to prepare for? Well, the first thing they need to do is to uh, go through our biblical entrepreneurship course because that, that sets the whole foundations for everything um, from what uh, we were talking about as far as um, the kingdom purpose, the vision, um, what it is you are about, how you're going to to make sure that uh, your projections are are solid. Um, the biblical entrepreneurship will provide you with that. Secondarily, uh, we do require you to have a business coach if you're you're pursuing uh, investment capital with us. Uh, so it's it's like Robert says, we aren't, we aren't silent partners. Um, if if uh, you have a, a business coach who's not affiliated with uh, Nehemiah Project or Kingdoms Coaching, then uh, have uh, an, a vetting process that we take those coaches through uh, as well. Uh, and I, let me back up to say that our investors also have to go through the uh, biblical entrepreneurship course so that both investors and the entrepreneurs are are coming together uh, from the same place. Uh, so then uh, it's a matter of uh, submitting uh, once you've you've gone through the, the course of so submitting uh, an interest form. We take you through an application process and uh, then move on into the vetting. I don't know if you wanted me to go into the vetting process at this time, Patrice, or, or what? No, not yet, uh, because of our time. But I do want to ask you a question. So okay. kind of the, the, from the process. So Robert, I mean, um, Richard, you, you are also an investor. Um, you know, you just recently made an investment into a fund that, that's going to businesses. So what would you be looking for? Maybe it is the vetting question, but what would you, as, as an investor, like many other investors going to be there, what are things that they're going to be looking for to make to determine whether they can invest in this or not? What, what can you say there? Well, one of the first things that I look for uh, as I'm, I'm considering a business to invest in is, is what the impact we're making. Uh, there are the businesses that I've worked with that are, um, you know, that it's a very solid Christian owned business, but its focus is not making an impact uh, for the kingdom. Uh, and so it's it's working through that mindset so that uh, what you are doing is not just simply uh, putting it to your pocket, 
uh, and then having uh, your tithe come out of that to to benefit uh, you know a, a, a ministry um, that you believe in and and want to, but that your actually work is is uh, making an investment in the kingdom, and that can be obviously an investment in a in an opportunity to to share the gospel uh, through opportunities that would arise. It could be uh, your relationships that you have, how you treat your your employees, and as, uh, also your vendors. Um, so, so working with uh, the relationships beside uh, there, and of course, obviously your your other business partners and and the investors that you have, and how those relationships are are lived out uh, in a way that honors Christ. So that's that's primarily uh, where I look. The first, then second. Uh, I look at whether or not uh, financials are in order, whether there are uh, the projections seem reasonable and attainable. Um, I, I probably should back up a little bit and say, say, is is the business needed? <laughs> is the the first uh, first uh, qualification uh, in all of this? Um, you know, if you've got uh, fourteen different uh, business coaches in a zip code, uh, the chances of adding a 15th probably isn't going to uh, generate mm -hmm. uh, a lot of interest in, or uh, clientele uh, unless you have something that's very unique and specific that you're doing. So is also something that I I love it. Thank you, Richard. Robert, uh, we promote this event as an educational one, one where the audience are there to kind of really learn um, to improve their own skills and prepare their own selves as, a, as so they might be able to be better at making the pitch. So as the MC, you know, I'm listening, watching this, and I'm considering coming, why should I come what are some things I can learn from this that may be valuable to me as an individual? Yeah, definitely. This is it is a great learning experience, and you know the, the attendee needs to go in there to and understand. Listen to both sides. Listen to the pitch, but also listen to the questions that are being asked. You know, a lot of times, you know, Shark Tank. You know, referred to as like a kind of like a Shark Tank, and sometimes these these sharks get a kind of get a bad rap. You know when you're watching the program because they sound so ruthless and they're just they're just after money and all that kind of stuff well number one you got to understand is they're investing their money into you and they're expecting a return that's the deal <laughs> so, so the first thing they want to know is am i going to get my money back and how so whether or not you're intending to pitch an investor i think any business owner could really learn a lot from watching this because you watch how other businesses are thinking and processing their business and how they put together their plan, you know, what, how their approach to marketing. There's a lot of uh, takeaways that you can probably take just from the, um, the entrepreneurs that are presenting. And then from the investors, the questions that they ask, listen to the questions and think, can, ask yourself, can I answer that question? Because they're always asking fundamental questions and you know, when you, it's always it always 
it makes me laugh on Shark Tank. They ask the same type of financial questions, and it's it it, it surprises me. Well, it doesn't surprise me anymore. It amazes me how unprepared these entrepreneurs come because they already know the questions. Even if you even if you have to get prepped by the the producer, if you just watch the show, you kind of understand what questions they're going to ask, what they're interested in. These are fundamental questions that to see if you understand your financials, how you're going to make money, how you're going to make a profit. Do you understand your market? You know, these are just fundamental questions that they're going to ask. And you need to be able to ask that you need to be able to answer that question for yourself, because if you can't, then that's something for you to be able to work on in your business. And don't look at these investors as greed investors. I mean, you got to think about yourself. I mean, you want to make a profit too, right? So just you're the investor. Just think of you as the investor. So as the investors are asking questions in the forum, Put yourself in their shoes as though you're asking yourself the same question and see if you can answer it. If not, then those are some things to work on. Mm, I love it. But Rich, Robert, what if my business yeah. has a clearly determined kingdom impact, but I just need the money uh, and I can't demonstrate how I can return it? Does isn't it, On these kingdom investors, doesn't that trump the whole money return thing? <laughs> you know, it goes back to like everybody's got a great idea. Right? I don't, you know, you can, you can have on, on paper, you can have like, the greatest impact in the world. But if you don't understand how you're going to make, make money, then obviously you don't have a map, a roadmap to success. You have no idea. Now, we all know just business plans are really a fluid document. You know, it's it not, not all plans work according to plan exactly. Uh, but you have to have an idea of where you're going. You have an idea of your market, you know, who you're going to sell to, how you're going to sell it, how you're going to get the awareness, how you're going to buy it, and then on the pricing, how you're going to price it so you're going to have a profit, the forecast. You have to have some idea of how you're going to get there. If if all you have is a, is a great idea, well, and there's not a whole lot of people who are going to invest in that. You know, unless they know how to make it work and basically they're going to take more of the equity. <laughs> but, but, you know, like they say, you know, they <laughs> a dozen. So you got, but you got to demonstrate that you understand how you're going to make it work. Ah, so. uh, I love it. Well said, guys. We've come to our last question. You guys have been going to be talking to Robert Fukui and Richard Zilke about the Nehemiah Week 2020, the Global Kingdom Investors Forum. Uh, Robert will be our MC for the event, and uh, Richard is preparing the entrepreneurs who will be making the pitch as I speak to. To, to raise capital, good tips, good advice. Um, my last question for both of you. Well, before we get last question, Robert, you are the MC. Help me sell the event. You know, right now the camera is going to be on you. Speak to the audience, and then you kind of just did that. Actually, kind of just did that. Anything different you're going to say other than what you just said? You kind of did that, right? <laughs> yeah, basically that was my pitch, but uh, maybe, it wasn't good, maybe it wasn't a good enough pitch for you. <laughs> but, They'll take but, that. There's a number of reasons why you'd want to be part of, of, of this event. Um, you know, part, some of it is what I just outlined, you know, the question before is look at this as though you're, you're the investor pitching and uh, it's your business itself. And can you answer these questions? But also looking at what a kingdom business looks like. And I think it's going to stimulate some ideas, even if you don't have never taken biblical entrepreneurship. This is a great insight in how the course works, but more importantly, how you should think about your business from a biblical perspective, from a kingdom perspective. Because 
I think some business owners think that yeah, having a you know greater purpose, a kingdom purpose, that's great. It's fluff. It's beautiful. But at the end of the day, I need to make money, right? Which well, you do. Obviously, you won't be in business very long if you're not profitable. But a kingdom purpose, when you understand your kingdom purpose, that is what you call your due north. That's the thing that you're trying to achieve. Everything else, if you achieve that kingdom purpose, then the profits actually will follow. The profits are really just an outcome, a side effect, basically, of achieving your kingdom purpose. Because that means you're impacting a lot of people. When you're impacting a lot of people in a positive way, they're going to want to do business with you. I mean, where's the product or service? And so look at this as a learning experience to figure out, do I understand my kingdom purpose? And also just, you know, just to applaud these other kingdom entrepreneurs that are making this pitch because they're going through the same journey that, or maybe just starting on this journey, but you can applaud what they're doing. And maybe they've already been in business and they're just looking for additional capital. But I mean, just applaud what they're doing and how they're doing it with a kingdom purpose. Wow. Thank you, sir. Hey, if you want to join, go to NehemiahWeek.com, NehemiahWeek.com. There you can register. There's still space available and be a part of not just the Kingdom Investors Forum, but the entire week of activity. You can learn and grow and be a part. Tomorrow, we're going to have Oz Hilme here in studio as he talks to you about his talk on the seven mountains of influence. And then Friday, we're going to have uh, one of the investors, Rene Villa, as he's going to talk about what it He's, he'll be looking for in the business he's already invested in as you prepare to be a part with it this week, uh, this this next month. So, so, gentlemen, last question for you. It's been a tough season for entrepreneurs around the globe, in the U.S. particularly. We've had social unrest, all kinds of stuff. So what last um, advice or insight would you like to leave our audience as they try to navigate these uncertain times? Time. So let's start with you, Richard, and we'll close with uh, with Robert. Well, I think first and foremost is is to understand that you're not in this alone, uh, and to to make sure that you have your uh, surrounded yourself with brothers and sisters in Christ who can support and encourage you. Uh, reach out and uh, to a, a business coach uh, that is, uh, will be able to help you develop your uh, kingdom business and th see you through this time, um, I think are the, the two steps that I would recommend. All right, thank you. Robert, what advice would you give them? Well, first of all, I think turn off social media and the news. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's just so much stuff going on, and I, I don't, it's not good for your soul. <laughs> it's not good for your soul. Um, and and I think you need to focus on the Lord number one, your fa your family around you that you have. And then when it comes to the business, is focus on the things you can control. I think that's that's part of what you know. I think driving people nuts, you know, when you're watching the news, watching social media, is like all this stuff that's out of control, and you feel out of control. Um, but focus back on, in your prayer time, just focus back on what are the things I can control, right? And once you focus on that, then you start to develop what's the next step. Um, well, like I said earlier, when it comes to business, is, is just assume things aren't going to get better, and you know, what do we need to do to move forward? Um, and, of course, God's got to be first and foremost. So what's your, how do we still continue to achieve our kingdom purpose? 
Lord, what do we do? What can I do? You know, what's your part, Lord? Because <laughs> obviously there's going to be a lot that the Lord's going to have to do, but there's a lot of stuff that we can do. And understanding what your role is at this time is important. So that that goes to understanding what are the things that you can control and just turn off all the other other stuff and focus on what the business, the business at hand. I love it. You heard it here, guys. Robert Fukui and Richard Zilke, as they talk about the uh, Nehemiah Week 2020 Kingdom Investors Forum. If you want to join and be a part, go to NehemiahWeek.com. NehemiahWeek.com. You can join it between the 10th and the 15th and be a part of this transformational week, week and hear and support these entrepreneurs, make their pitch and learn from them. Robbie, we're going to have to have you and your wife come back and talk about the couples by design. Looking forward to hear more yeah. about that. And yeah. Insight. Thank you so much, gentlemen, and see you guys at Nehemiah Week. But don't you leave yet uh, because we have a video I want to share with you guys. I want to pray for you, and we have a video I want to share with you guys before you leave. Again, join us again tomorrow. We're going to have Oz Hillman in studio, and then on Friday, we're going to have Renee Villa in studio. Hey, if you want um, to know how to connect with us, go to NehemiahEcommunity.com, NehemiahEcommunity.com. There you can learn to access our training, coaching, and access to capital, and then you can become a member so that together we can transform uh, the world. And then share this podcast with friends and family, share with as many folks as you can, because this is a great podcast that you can use to help others who are looking to raise capital, to grow or to start their businesses, to hear insights from Richard and Robert as to how they can prepare their own businesses uh, for the purpose of making their pitch or self-financing. Because as Robert said, you may not need the capital at the end of the day. Because remember what the Word of God says, that uh, we are called to be lenders and not borrowers. That's your destiny. Whether you are borrowing now, your aim ought to get to a point you are a lender like Richard, a lender into other businesses and not a borrower. Well, let me pray for you. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord enable you to steward those talents that, you place, that he's placed under your care and to steward them in such a way that one day you can hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. Guess what? He'll now make you ruler over much. God bless you. Watch this video. Thank you, guys. See you in Nehemiah week. All right. Thanks, Patrice. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Nehemiah Week. All right. An Thanks, Patrice. Designed to equip entrepreneurs and leaders from around the world to inspire and to honor marketplace leaders for their accomplishments and what they're doing to model Christ in the marketplace. God is doing incredible things at Nehemiah Week. Ladies and gentlemen, God has called us to be a light for Him, to be an example for Him to be a model for him so that as others see us, not hear us, but see us, they can see a model of Christ. Yeah, each year at Nehemiah Week, we, we gather uh, the, the nations. Our vision is to transform the marketplace with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, one entrepreneur at a time. We have learned uh, to do business uh, in a good way. Uh, I will actually spread this to our church as well.
through the course of Nehemiah Week includes information around um, principles of biblical entrepreneurship, so really looking at biblical economics. What we've learned this week is, is about training. A Nehemiah uh, project is about training and then coaching and then accessing capital. Nehemiah gave me God's vision. Really impacts the way that I see doing business. Nehemiah Week normally gives birth to new ideas to connect us with resources and relationships that make them possible. So what we want to do is not just affect here in the U.S. We want to take this curriculum all over the world. Whatever it is, the question is, what impact will this have on others? It's something that's going to change lives. So I'm ready to use whatever I have for the benefit of the kingdom of God. I believe that the nations are going to shape because of this week. Biblical entrepreneurship takes a stand to say we are going to be witnesses for Jesus Christ in the marketplace.